Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pimpin.com Norwich City podcast, coming to you on the day of the summer solstice, which I suspect will feel very much like the longest day of the year for Norwich City fans. I'm David Freezer, and joining me to look back on a surreal Friday night at Carrow Road, a City slump to a 3 0 defeat to Southampton, is Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell. We're also coming to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM, and for the first time, we've opened up the pod as a Zoom conference. So we're hoping. We may have some questions from City fans during the course of the show. If you'd like to ask a question via Zoom, then let us know. You'd like to talk about it in the chat function at the bottom of the screen, and we'll bring you into the conversation at the apt point. Uh, but let's start at the beginning when we actually actually saw each other in real life, boys, and not just over a video call as it has been for the last three months. Um, Connor, shall I come to you first to sort of set the scene a little bit for what it was like for those uh, for the 300 of us that, that were at Carrow Road? Yeah, very odd. I think very, very odd and very surreal um, is is probably the best best way to sum it up. Um, sort of various checks as as you went in. Obviously, you had to to wear a mask, which is the first time I've I've had to do that. I haven't ventured sort of in on public transport or anything like that. So it was the first time I've worn that, and um, suddenly became uh, aware of the problems with wearing a mask and glasses, which was uh, <laughs> which was perhaps uh, unwelcome. But no, all, all these procedures in place to to keep us safe. Obviously, with social distancing and um, keeping ourselves apart and all of that really so I mean I, overall it was it was just very surreal very strange um, but actually I, I felt that actually being in the stadium and watching it in the flesh was probably a better experience than when I'd watched behind closed door games on TV so um, it, we're, we're obviously in an incredibly fortunate situation I know the game wasn't particularly great from, from Norwich's perspective in the end but yeah just a very surreal strange atmosphere about the whole place really it, it kind of felt like um I mean, we, we watched a few FA Youth Cup games this season where there was about probably what, a thousand people in, um, if that. And it had, it had a similar sort of feel. I mean, it's it's interesting in the sense you can hear the communication on the pitch and you can hear what the players are saying and um, studying the managers and their sort of language and how they speak to the players is, is very interesting as well. But yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's it's really a, a poor replacement or a poor alternative to the real product, which is obviously having supporters there and, and, and having... Um, and having that crowd noise, which um, which Norwich needed last night. But uh, for, from our perspective, yeah, I, I felt really safe at all, all times, to be fair. And um, yeah, it was just, as I said, surreal and strange, I think, are my, my two overriding uh, thoughts from it. Yeah, surreal, certainly. I mean, those who uh, have seen my video verdict on YouTube can see that you could see the indents of the mask on my face. And I, I had loosened it over the course of what we were wearing them for about four hours, I suppose, weren't we, the masks? Um, and so, I mean, of course, massive um, respect to, to the care workers and NHS workers who have to wear them all day, as well as the rest of the PPE gear. It must be so uncomfortable. Um, so that they do sort of dig into you. And even if you want to, you know, have a sip of your bottle of water, you've got to take your mask off every, mask off every time. Michael Bailey, our, our former colleague, was sat to my right and we were having a conversation. I can't remember about what, but I pulled a facial expression and they said, oh, you can't see what expression I'm pulling, can you? So that was weird. But one sort of new element is that we were sat in a different position. We were in behind the, we were in the glass section behind the director's box. So we had quite a nice view. And Pad, we have seen one, uh, or, well, I, I think you've probably seen a, a few, but behind closed doors, pre-season friendlies before, haven't we? Like when we were in Germany last year and you just sort of, sat next to the pitch and it, it was quite strange so we, we had a little bit of, a, of an experience of it but yeah certainly as a view it was it was great wasn't it oh yeah no i think um if anybody's unaware where the normal press box is it's 
kind of if you were looking out from the city stand, it's towards the snake pit end. Um, so you're kind of nearer the corner flag than the halfway line. Whereas yesterday, yeah, we were a bit bit nearer the halfway line. So in terms of a view, uh, that was probably an improvement. But overall, to echo what Connor was saying, I mean, it's the first time I've ever had a temperature gun pointed at my head. So uh, that was that was that was straight away to get into the stadium. That was so straight away you're on a, a completely different mindset. And then the, the 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 next thing that stood out for me was literally when the players came out in drips and drabs. Uh, the the away players came out first. I think that's the protocol in the Premier League in the current climate. And then the Norwich's players, and they were obviously trying to socially distance. I'm not quite sure what the point of that was when you're then going to go flying into tackles or, or not, as the case may be, for Norwich last night. But, out as well, though, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And they were kind of looking around um, and the music was playing as per normal, the Premier League anthem. And obviously they didn't observe the handshakes ritual uh, going along the line. But it was kind of a looking around, yeah, right, this, this, is, this is proper unknown territory. I don't quite know what to do myself. And it was so low-key and there was no urgency and intensity. And sadly... From a Norwich point of view, that seemed to be sort of seeped, seeped right through the, the performance because um, they were a long way short of it. Whereas Southampton's given their due, I thought did harness that intensity, and we'll get into that in due course, won't we? But uh, as an experience, Connor's right, we were very privileged to be there, but not something I personally want to be repeating any longer than we have to because uh, it's not football um, as we know it. And certainly those those fans, they're the ones you feel, you know, for the 25,000 or so who, whenever that game would have been played, would have been packed in. And, uh, you know, your heart breaks for them. You, you, you saw some of the stories on social media in the morning of, this is my first game I've missed in 42 years. I think I saw one and um, and that would have brought it home, I think, last night when, when that final, when the start of the game went. And, and you know, people who've... Uh, come rain shine year in year out will have been at Carrow Road uh, that would have been very tough watching and then compounded of course by the team they love not not really performing yeah it was yeah they felt like sort of fish out of water I think um, they, they, they had made the stadium look really good with all the banners and I think you know the club had done as much as they could to, to fill in the void almost with a, with a bit of colour and you know some, some great banners to, to, to dress it all up but the bit that stuck out for me, Connor, was when they came out for the second half, they played on the Ball City, you know, loudly over the speakers with the, the video countdown and things like that on the screen. And and it just felt, it felt fake, that it didn't feel like the players were like, yeah, come on, I'm, I'm, I'm really up for this second half. It it just felt flat. No, we lost him. All right, well, I'll come back to you on that then, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> the on the Ball City just didn't, didn't work at all, did it? No, no, I mean, very hard, very difficult to recreate anything resembling, um, you know, the normal match day experience for anybody in that stadium. Um, and it, as I say, you know, this is unknown territory right from probably when the Premier League got the green light to roll out Project Restart. We've all basically been sort of trying to find our way, whether it's us in the media, whether it's more importantly the, the players, the coaching staff or the medical protocols have had to be wrapped around it and of course Norwich experienced uh, quite quite a you know turbulent episode if we can use that phrase around Marco Steeperman you know going into the game which won't have helped the preparations you know his positive Covid test and then two subsequent negative ones uh, just just very difficult for, for anything other than a feeling that we're kind of just fulfilling the season now and, and sadly from Norwich's point of view that's probably going to be a season that ends in relegation but um, 
you know, that we all know probably why the Premier League have, have had to come back. That it's been very well documented the financial implications of not restarting the season. Um, but I've seen three games now, one live, and then the, the first two earlier in the week. And uh, as a product, it's not not really doing it for me. And then that's setting aside, you know, how poor Norwich were in terms of the results. It's just, you know, it's just artificial for me. And um, and that's that's what it is. And it's, I don't think it's going to change hugely between now and the end of the season. Fans aren't going to be allowed in, uh, so everybody's going to have to adapt to make the best of it. Mm. Well, uh, hopefully we'll have Connor back uh, very shortly. He's just going to come in and out. These are the things that you have to deal with when uh, doing things via video conference these days. It's all quite odd, you know. Paddy interviewing Daniel Farker before and after the game via via Zoom. We're, it's a total new world. Um, we'll um, hopefully have some uh, City fans sort of joining in with questions shortly. But let's let's move on to the team selection, Pad. And uh, Daniel, I think, has got a fair bit of criticism afterwards. Um, particularly the midfield pairing of Tribal and McLean really didn't seem to work up against Ward-Prowse and Hoybjerg, who were both very good players, aren't they? Um, Tim Close is straight back in. But, yeah, what I know it's easy in hindsight. It always is, isn't it? But yeah. that team didn't work out, did it? The team didn't work out. I mean, for me, what, what we've basically got there is Farker's matched up. Southampton has gone 4-4-2, which we, we have never seen from a start uh, under Daniel Farker. We might have seen it at the end of the Sheffield United game, which was the last one prior to the lockdown. But for me, you look at it now and he's, he's basically got to try uh, and match up. And, uh, and sadly, the reality is that pound for pound, Southampton have better players. So I think if you're going to try and emulate what the opponent are doing, but the opponent have better players, it's... It's always going to be very difficult. And then you overlay that. The way Southampton used their 4-4-2 was essentially pressing high through Danny Ings, who was excellent, um, and then countering quickly through, you know, lots of Redmond and Obafemi and, and Armstrong. Uh, and, and that was a far better use of the system for me than what Norwich tried to do. And you touched on two players. I'd, I'd also include Cantwell and Buendia. I thought it was a midfield four. They were so far off it in comparison to Southampton. And, and Norwich's attempt to play 4-4-2 with patient possession and slow build-up play through Tom Tribal simply uh, wasn't good enough to deal with the intensity and the athleticism and the pace that Southampton harnessed. And, yeah, and then within that, you know, you can look at the personnel. Um, clearly, Tom Tribal, for me, doesn't really work in that position. I, I think if, if he's not offering enough on the ball, he certainly doesn't offer enough without it. And some of the goals you watch back now and his role in some of the goals are, you know, through the fingers job for me. So I, I'd personally be quite happy to see him pulled out of the team if, you, if you're trying to set up in that manner because it's not working for me any time I've seen him in that position. Um, and because of that, I think it had a knock-on effect in terms of the back four, didn't get the protection they needed. And as much as you can highlight what Closer didn't do or Ben Godfrey didn't cover himself in glory with a couple of goals, I thought Jamal Lewis as well, very poor attempt at a challenge when Armstrong cut back inside for the Southampton second goal. Uh, and even Max Ahrens, you know, he, he went AWOL when, when Redmond slotted that third one in. But they didn't have a great deal of protection from the boys in front. And then at the top end of the pitch, if you're Dermich and Puka, you need regular supply lines. And it was very fitful. So, yeah, the whole the whole thing was a jumble uh, and a mishmash. And uh, in hindsight, as you say, Dave, is a wonderful thing. But I think Farker got it wrong. Uh, and the players that he entrusted and the shape he went with didn't work. And, and, and ultimately, for me, from probably 15 minutes in, after they had two or three very good chances, to be fair, started positively. But thereafter, um, there was only going to be one winner. It was just a case of when rather than if Southampton were going to get their noses in front. Yeah, you could feel the momentum switch. 
picture. Looks like we've got Connor back. Um, but let's um, try and bring David Abbott in. Uh, David, thanks very much for joining us. Um, you've got a, a question uh, along the lines of uh, Tim Closer not necessarily being match fit. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, what, what did you, what sort of made you, what, what sort of made you think that then? Well, he was very, he was very slow on the turn for a start, and he was very slow with the ball and, and basically without it. I'm not criticising him as such because I don't think he was match fit, and that's the reason I don't know when I query as to whether he should have started. Hmm. So yeah, the the option is pretty limited, <laughs> thanks to the injuries again, which we were all talking about on on uh, Friday night. And um, before we sort of come on to that, David, but um, what did you make of the overall experience of, of watching it from home? <laughs> forgettable, totally forgettable. <laughs> I wouldn't, uh, you know, I just came off at the end feeling totally flat. I thought the performance all round was terrible. I mean, we can uh, we, we can excuse the fact that uh, Southampton are a better team uh, and they've got better individual players, but we were set up poorly. And also, I think that all through the match, we were second to everything and uh, we just looked disjointed, uh, disorganised and uh, basically not really a functioning team. Okay, all right. Well, thanks for that, David. I'll bounce your question to, to Connor then. Uh, well, fingers crossed if his audio is, is working. Um, Tim Closer, was he match fit? Should Alex Tetty have, have been starting ahead of him? Do you think he'll be okay to start against Everton? Uh, I suppose that's, that's the situation Daniel Farker's in now, isn't it, with, with defenders? There's not a lot of them. Um, yeah, I think it's a really difficult one. I, I guess the, the obvious answer really is he didn't have much of a choice to, to start Tim Closer. And Probably in an ideal world, it, it would have been Grant Hanley, who had a sustained run of games before the break and has obviously played throughout this season, or Christoph Zimmerman, who sort of played in, in fits and starts. Um, Tim Close has had a very tough year, I think, hasn't he, in general, um, given that the injury and the length of it and probably the extent of it as well. Um, I, I don't think, for me, if, if you have a natural centre-back option, that particularly you could play a, a defensive midfielder there. Um, and I know... The, the fitness comes down to it and they are going to have to manage closer very, very carefully now because obviously he's not played in a year. That's that's a very tough situation for any player and we can talk about match fitness and yeah, I, th I think David's probably got a point in, in terms of that but equally, there's there's probably a case for none of the players out there being fully match fit given that, that they haven't played a, a game of football for three months beyond perhaps a few friendlies. So, um, it's it's incredibly it's an incredibly difficult one, and obviously without the access to the data that the sports scientists have and the fitness coaches have, we probably unable to answer that question sort of fully or or accurately. But yeah, it, I don't think he looked at any less off the pace than than any of the others in in, in truth. And I felt Ben Godfrey had a really um, quite a poor game for, for for his standard. There were, there were a couple of wayward passes early on and didn't really ever get settled. And and I think probably that was. And again, I don't want to throw everything back to Daniel Farker in the system, but I don't think the system helped either of them, to be honest, because as soon as that ball was turned over, there was essentially two V3s, three V4s all, all game so long. Exposed. And yeah, exactly. So exposed. And, and I think as a defender, they were quite isolated. And I, yeah, again, Daniel Farker will point to a lack of options. But for me, I, I sort of wince every time I don't see Alex Tetty in the Norwich team. And um that, that's a real issue, that they can't find a dynamic in midfield that works without Alex Tetty being one of the two defensive midfielders. And without him, whoever you have at centre-back looks so exposed and it looks so open. And um, I, I just thought last night there was a real lack of structure or, and, and rhythm and, and plan to some extent of, of what Norwich were trying to do. And, and that was throughout the team, probably not just the, the two centre-backs. Although, yeah, I, I think David has a point about match fitness. 
Yeah, shouldn't be in this situation still, should we? I mean, Teddy is 34 now, I think he is, isn't yeah. he? So, yeah. you know, Norwich still haven't replaced him. They brought in Amadou in the summer and it was pretty clear pretty quickly that he didn't have the passing game required to survive in the Premier League. You know, I'm sure he could put his foot in and make a tackle in midfield. But, yeah, it's it still feels like if Teddy's not there, then Norwich fans are sort of braced for, for the worst because uh, that didn't work. I'm not... I'm not sure why Closer and Godfrey's chemistry was quite so off, but the, the, the only time they've played or started as a centre-back pairing before was the 3-3 against Forest when Norwich also went 3-0 down, didn't they, before they, mm. uh, of course, sort of roared back into it. But um, they have played alongside each other several other times. It was just generally Godfrey's been at left-back or right-back or in midfield or, and things like that. But basically, Pad, they haven't got much choice but to keep going I mean I spoke to closer after the game and he said fitness wise he, he felt okay and you know he's got to be careful because it was a serious knee injury but they're probably gonna he's gonna have to play as many games as he can manage at the moment isn't it no alternative Dave is there I mean that's the that's the for a Premier League club to be in this situation it's staggering and okay they would point to the fact that well could you have envisaged before a ball was kicked last summer that they would have literally I think I've seen stats over the last 24 hours that they're under four recognised senior centre-backs available at any point together all season. Um, so that that is mitigation. But by the same token, that when it got to January and they'd struggled through with no Zimmerman for periods, closer for the whole period because he did it very early on in August in the League Cup at uh, Crawley. And Grant Hanley was in and out. Surely then... And then, of course, they let Amadou go as well in the closing hours of the January window. Surely having Weber acknowledged to us that they'd probably not backed Daniel enough in the summer transfer window, you'd go again in January and you plug that gap, even if, which is clearly what they've banked on, that they knew Zimmerman was coming back. They probably felt Closer was going to be back uh, in time and, and obviously Hanley had just got himself back. But, you know, it does look like a lack of foresight and a lack of planning, which is at odds really with how, you know, since Weber and Fargo have come in, they have tried to be very strategic and, and working windows ahead. But, in this area of the pitch, I'm afraid that, you know, clearly the fact that you've got to play a guy last night who hadn't started in the league since January of 2019. We're going back 17 months since Tim Closer started a league game for Norwich. And alongside him is a man who is, lest we forget, still very inexperienced and, and only playing his first season at this level. Um, it's it's no wonder, really, that, you know, that they did look a little bit exposed. But I'll reiterate, I said it, Connor's reiterate as well you know they didn't get a lot of help from the players in front of them in terms of protection but moving forward I, I don't see an alternative you know unless you know, what what do you do Alex Tete at centre-back I mean that that really is you know rolling the dice and, and and what would that say to a Tim Closer or Ben Godfrey if you pull one of them out and put Alex Tete in so for me I don't think I would be focusing completely after last night's performance just on those two guys it has to be the, the setup in front of them and giving them a bit more protection because you could have put any permed any two or four Norwich fit centre backs and put them into that game and they would have been under the pump because really the balance of the side was all wrong and the personnel across midfield didn't work. So yeah, okay, we can focus on the two centre backs and and we can debate all day that re recruitment wise they probably have got it wrong in the area of the pitch. Um, but I think uh, I think we need to broaden the focus in terms of what went wrong last night. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, you might uh, say that uh, we were um, off the pace everywhere, though, last night. And that's the worry to me. The fact that um, Southampton were two yards sharper than us all across the pitch, taking aside the quality of players they've got. We were very slow, very sluggish. And also in defence, obviously, on several occasions, even when we got men behind the ball, on one occasion, we got five men against two and they were still able to retain the ball. And we didn't seem to put in a decent tackle at all. Yeah, that side of things defensively, Daniel didn't hide away from either, did he, after the game? Said that those duels, as he likes to talk about, just weren't good enough. Um, right, let's switch it to the other end of the pitch then. Um, Daniel, sort of the, the big surprise that you know most people were talking about ahead of the game uh, is that he'd gone with a, a two up front, essentially, with Pookie and Dermich. Now, before the break, all that time ago, three months, over 100 days, at Bramall Lane, Dermich had come on at half-time and gave Norwich a, a decent bit of impetus that, that saw them go close to, um, to, to rescuing a point there. Um, he had some chances. There was that Dean Henderson triple save, of course. Now, you know, whether it's a 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1 is you know, a subtle difference. Dermich was essentially sort of playing behind Pookie. But, Connor, what, what did you make of that? I mean, they did see the ball here and there. It wasn't, I wouldn't say they were totally isolated, but the touch for both of them was probably not good enough. And, and in terms of any kind of chemistry as a partnership, I, I certainly wasn't convinced. No, I, I thought Pookie looked um, very lost in the two, to be honest. I, I think he, he looked a, a little bit confused and, and that, that probably can be said for a lot of Norwich players about the system and, and their role within it. It just looked, it looked almost like it had been thrown together a little bit. I mean, they've only had two weeks of full contact training and, and to then ask the whole team to work on an entirely new system and a, a new approach. And for me, it sort of felt like a step away from Daniel Farker's philosophy, if that's what you want to call it, because... Dermich was there as, as a bit of a target man, someone who could hold the ball up and move Norwich City up the pitch. And, and he did I mean, it, for him, well, I, I think he? this season in, in... What's that, sorry? He did put himself about as well, didn't yeah. he? There's plenty of work rate there from Dermich. Yeah, yeah, you, you can't... I don't think you can you can dispute his, his work rate. I think the, the supply line probably wasn't great. And I think that goes back to what Pad was saying earlier on about Buendia and Campwell. I don't think they particularly... Um, operated or, or, or were particularly successful in their roles in, in terms of how they played and I also felt that the it, it, like you say they weren't so much isolated it was more the sort of um, the passes they were receiving I felt at times probably didn't suit either of them particularly well um, but they both had big chances Dermich had one in the first half didn't he Pookie in the second half and it was just it was two strikers playing for a club at the bottom of the league they, they took that extra touch they hesitated and suddenly the chance is gone and, and you look at them they were probably Norwich's two best openings of the game. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I don't think Dermich did anything particularly wrong. I think in, in the role that he was asked to play and it was more of a target man to, again, try and help Norwich play over the press and sort of win the knock-on. Um, then I, I felt he did elements of that fairly well. Um, but equally, feeding off scraps in a system that was just disjointed and lacked balance all over the place. And again, this, this goes for anyone. I don't think you can really pinpoint an Norwich City player who had a good game last night. And, that for me is, is the issue. And again, fitness-wise, they looked off it. And it was just very lacklustre, I felt, all over the pitch. And um, it felt to me like a, a tactic that hadn't been fully rehearsed, fully trained, fully um, fought out. And uh, I, I felt probably the, the two at the top end paid the price for that as well. Because, as I said, they, they couldn't really move Norwich up the pitch because Norwich City couldn't retain possession. And um, that, that was a real issue, I felt. But yeah, in, in terms of Dermich 
it it just did, it just didn't work. It's as simple as that, really. Yeah. Um, well, we've got a comment from Carl Jokat here. Work rate is more like running around. Work rate more like running around like headless chickens. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember. Sorry, just to just to come in, I remember a quote from Grant Holt. I think it was. Uh, he was asked a question about if you're a striker, what do you do if you're not having a very good game? And he said basically just run around a lot. So there you go. All right. Okay. Well, maybe we can bring. Oh, Carl, oh, sorry, Carl I'll just in just, just cut across there though, before Carl comes in. But you contrast those two with Danny Ings, who did basically work the Norwich backline from minute one. He was he was literally not giving those defenders and tribal a moon its piece and then we saw the quality of his finish you know that's what a, a very good striker can do and um and that's two games now where he is unfortunately bullied Norwich's defense yeah he was excellent he was man of the match wasn't he? he played a played a major role and you can see why uh he's been doing so well I think that's 16 goals for the season isn't it after after all his injury problems and um, that sort of ruined his time at Liverpool fair play to him he's really got his career on track um we uh I tweeted at half time uh, when it was still nil-nil, of course. But uh, I tweeted, City need to do something to change the pattern of this. Campwell and Buendia are too isolated. Dermich and Puffy don't look like a partnership. Switch to a 4-2-3-1. Get Tetty and Vrancic in the middle. And Duda in the 10 in place of Dermich. Lucky to be level at the break. But, Pad, Daniel didn't make any changes at half-time, did he? He didn't, despite all... I, I think it was pretty resounding that everyone was in agreement that this isn't working. You've got five subs. Make a change. Daniel didn't react, did he? Is, no, I mean, let's be honest, and it's not with the benefit of hindsight. You've put that out there at half-time. So, you know, we all probably shared similar opinions or shades of that opinion. He's had a bad night. He's had a bad night. He's, he's had a, an horrendous build-up, let's be honest. Again, he wouldn't hide behind excuses, but the whole Stieperman thing, he did say to us on Thursday that that, for two or three days, really knocked the whole group because yeah. there was that uncertainty of, has this guy got it? What probably does that mean for me if I'm a teammate of his, my family, so on and so forth? absolutely cannot even begin to, to underscore how difficult that would have added an element to the preparations. And then, of course, you know, it became quite clear from Tottenham onwards that Grant Hanley was out for the season, Zimmerman and Byram. Um, so, you know, if, if if you want to give him a little bit of a leeway, he's not had the best of preparations. But that said, I don't know whether that's just, you know, scrambled his thinking and, and, and sort of coloured or, or clouded what he was trying to do last night, but both in terms of the setup, in terms of the personnel, and obviously the instructions that he was giving them. And then during the game, because it was too late at 2 0 down, I think he made the change then, and Tribal came off, and Vrancic and Hernandez came on, and Campbell came off as well. Um, the game was gone then. It was clear uh, to anybody uh, watching, either live or, or on the TV, I'm sure. So, yeah, he's not had, not had a good day at the office, let's be brutally honest. And, um, and they, and, as again, to quote him again, Thursday, he said, this is doable, but it needs Norwich at their absolute best in these nine games. And that included him as well as his players. And I'm afraid that was every bit as poor as it took me back to the most, one of the most recent games, Wolves away on that Sunday at Molyneux. They were shocking that day. Um, and there was one or two others, United away as well. But of course, United have some very, very, very good attacking players. But I would put it, I would bracket it with those type of performances where they haven't really turned up and there was no redeeming features. Um, and with so much at stake and the need to hit the ground running with Southampton and Everton coming, um, I think that's where there's a lot of uh, disappointment and, and frustration because, you know, they're not going to get too many more chances. And, and in reality, we'd said it right at the outset, if, if other teams do what they need to do today, then we might already be over by the shouting, mightn't we? 
From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. The, uh, you've just reminded me, Pat, just to actually check, but I mean, Norwich have now lost four of their last five league games, but they headed into the break, didn't they, with having uh, beaten Leicester on the Friday night um, because of that late Lewis goal, and then they won on penalties at Spurs, and because it was only a narrow defeat at Sheffield United, there was a degree of hope that there was still some kind of uh, little miracle that was possible. Um, but all of a sudden, that sort of optimism, almost like the, the first day of a new season, was, was there ahead of this game, wasn't it? People were excited. I mean, you know, I, I popped around to uh, my parents to drop off my stepdad's um, birthday present um, earlier in the day, and they were all looking forward to... Their, their season ticket holders and so is my little brother and they were all really looking forward to watching Norwich on on telly but it's it, all of a sudden it's like the the balloon has burst very quickly isn't it or it's you know fizzled off into into the air it's just disappeared very very quickly um looking forward Connor and we're, we're talking uh, ahead of Saturday's games aren't we um let me just <laughs> run through them quickly um but everyone's at home although that might not be might not be a good thing, as we're sort of seeing with behind closed doors football in Germany and, and last night. Uh, Watford home to Leicester, Brighton at home to Arsenal, West Ham v Wolves, Bournemouth v Palace, and then on Sunday it's Villa v Chelsea. So if you're looking at the table now, all, two of them win and Norwich, uh, the Everton game almost becomes academic, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, how many points have we been here this season when we say if other teams do this and other teams do that? And, and it's, it's it's been far too often. Norwich City need to well, they, they've had an opportunity now to, to focus on themselves, to try and build up some momentum, to try and um, close the gap, I guess, between them and, and their rivals. And, and they just haven't done it. And for that reason alone, it kind of feels like whatever they do in, in or whatever the other teams do in, in this round of fixtures is kind of irrelevant to an extent because Norwich City are incapable of doing the goods on the pitch. And for as long as that remains the case, the other teams can, can win or lose or draw or whatever. And Norwich will, will stay where they are. So... Really, the onus on them is, is to try and pick themselves up. And yeah, of course, they can be done a favour today, but that favour only becomes a favour if, if they profit from it. And, and so far this season, very rarely have they. I mean, they've only won five games. I mean, for, for us to, to then be talking about them going on a run where they win, what, five out of seven or, or six out of seven um, or eight, rather, is extremely unlikely, if, if not impossible. So... I, I felt last night was a real opportunity to build some confidence, to build some momentum, to really establish themselves and impose their personality onto a fixture, which in many ways could be potentially easier behind closed doors. Um, and they just they just failed in all departments. And it was it was just so lacklustre and so deflating, I think, to, to be honest, to see a team come out and produce a performance like that. And of course, you have to remember the context of the week and the injuries and obviously um, Stephenman's situation. And of course, those things don't help. But this is a team who should be fighting for their lives at the bottom of the division. They should be helping each other out. They should be um, at least performing with a degree of energy, of enthusiasm. And it just didn't look like that last night. And, and I think that that probably what grates people most. If it was a performance where, again, they, they came across well and they played with some sort of direction and, and some sort of um, energy and tempo and intensity, then if they lose and it's not good enough, so be it, you know. But that wasn't the case last night. It, it just... It, it felt like it could be filed alongside probably some of the worst performances we've seen under Daniel Farker, to be honest. And um, I think that stems really from 
from the players, but also the coaching staff. And we've we've spoken about Farker's tactics in, in length on this, and it, it was just it was just wrong from start to finish. And I think there, there have been so many points this season where you've looked at a game and thought, okay, something needs to change, and he's been unable to find a formula or, or to change it at key points in key games. Um, I mean, he went to a free at the back. I think when Norwich were two 0 down, which which at that point just felt really really strange. So, I think for him tactically, it's it's been quite a difficult season. It feels like he's almost attempted to to retain what he used last season, but it feels slowly more so now that Norwich are moving away from that a bit. And um, you just wonder, as we've seen with Alex Neal in the past, what damage this does long term to a coach. And hopefully. Norwich can, can find their way again, Everton. And, and again, it's, it, it's kind of odd for him because he's a coach who is quite stubborn in his thinking. He, he likes to play a system that Norwich work on and, and they um, work on it in training and it's their system and that's their way and that's, that's it really. And last night, it just felt like a step away from that. It felt quite reactive. And um, in the Premier League, as, as, as we've seen this year, you, you need to have some proactivity about you and it just feels like Norwich are very very reactive and, and, and very easy to play against. And as long as that is the case, it's it's sort of irrelevant from my perspective what, what other teams do and, and what they do today because I think they've given themselves uh, too much of a mountain to climb. I, I was actually thinking this morning, the, the when Josh Martin came on, which was 89th minute, only a few minutes to go, there was a moment when I looked at it and I was like, what is the formation actually supposed to be here? Max Ahrens was no, on the left. Gotcha. Kenny mm. McLean seemed to be on the right. I think Hernandez was up front with Ida. And then it was Martin, Branchich and Duda as the midfield. But Duda seemed to be playing in like a, the tribal role, almost, as, a, yeah. as like the anchor, um, with Lewis closer and, and Godfrey as the back three. But I think, but I don't really know. I think by that point, they just looking forward to the final whistle, weren't they? So mm. um, I'll just, just to remind for those watching on Zoom, if you want to jump into the conversation, just drop us a comment in the chat function at the bottom and we'll, we'll try and get you, uh, get you in. Um, CJ, who was there, we seem to have lost. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants to join in, then just drop us a comment. Um, but, Pad, um, Buendia, uh, unfortunately, we've had to have this sort of conversation about him a lot this season, haven't we? You know, it's a, it's a sort of feast or famine with him. And what we actually saw happen last night is he was totally robbed of the ball ahead of the third goal and then was hooked straight away, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it put me in mind of... Funnily enough, we talked about it in the context of, I think it was the first game since Watford, was it, that Tribal and McLean had been yeah. paired together? I think, and, and, and we remember that Watford at home was him dallying in his own half, got robbed by Gerard Delafay after about two minutes. And uh, that wasn't the first time we'd seen it. We'd seen it against Villa at home at, even earlier in the season. And it was it was that Bewendia for me. It wasn't a uh, fizzing and popping and making things happen and, and looking like... Uh, a player who's a cut above Norwich, if we've been brutally honest. I'm afraid that was the sulky, surly, uh, stroppy, I'm going to try this flick in the wrong area of the pitch. It doesn't come off. I'm not even going to bother chasing back. Um, back heel on the edge of the seat, yeah. wasn't it? So, God knows why Why we... I mean, clearly, you know, when when the game started to go away from them, Daniel spoke about the belief in, in quite a lot of them younger players just drained out of them. And maybe, you know, that, that he, he was he was part of that process but um, no he didn't look anything like uh, we know he's capable of and uh, um, unfortunately again at the risk of repeating myself if Norwich were going to do anything they had to be at their ultimate best in this nine game window playoffs as Daniel had packaged them and uh, and within that he needed to be at his absolute best and uh, when he offers so little he's not really offering a huge amount to the football team and uh, it, it 
again, you might reflect on, we've had Connor's had a, a long uh, dissection of Daniel Farker. Maybe it's more of a reflection on Daniel Farker that he cannot extract from a guy who's clearly got talent that the sort of level of performance we know he's capable of. We saw it, OK, he was in the Championship and they've stepped up, but we have seen it on occasion in, in the Premier League. So he has that in him and, you know, he clearly has the potential to go on and achieve better and play for play for maybe a bigger club in the Premier League. No disrespect to Norwich. And, you know, there is a player in there, but for whatever reason, he can't pull it out of himself on a regular basis and his coach can't seem to extract that from him either. And uh, I thought both him and Cantwell, Cantwell got hooked as well. And uh, the bar one little threaded ball he put through for, for Timu Puki in the second half, I thought he was on the periphery as well. And of course... Inevitably, you, and I've seen one or two already on social this morning, have equated that level of non-performance with, are these players already thinking about pastures new in the summer? I think that's a little bit unfair, but when you don't perform as a group and as individuals, they are the things that are going to be thrown at this group between now and the end of the season. That Are these players now already maybe thinking, what if? And of course, that's a whole different argument. And Stuart Webber's appeared on a various podcasts in recent days and said that that's not going to happen unless Norwich want it to happen. But, you know, is it any wonder if some of these players are maybe thinking, well, yeah, it's been a good ride here, but Norwich are going back down to the Championship. I don't fancy that. And maybe even if it's just something subconscious at this stage and there's nothing concrete, they're starting to think about the what if. And uh, again, if you're Daniel Farker, you need you need to pull them back into line because there's still, maybe not in the league, but there's still the small matter of an FA Cup quarterfinal. And, um, you know, there are things to play for. And, and apart from anything else, put it in my pointers last night. All those Norwich fans at home last night, they deserve better than that. They deserve to see a team, and they have done overall under Farker, seen a team who go out and play and represent their team with pride. And, and we didn't see any of that last night. And that was, for me, one of the most disappointing facets. As Connor said, you can play well and you're just not good enough on the day and there's a better team with better players. But you couldn't really say that was the case last night. Norwich, fortunately for me, raised the white flag yeah, Campbell, I think, for me, was very slightly better than Emmy, but mainly because of that moment in the first half when Max got taken out and the referee didn't stop play. Um, it was Todd who got back with Jamal and actually prevented Ings from, from having a... Oh, well, Redmond, sorry, actually from, from having a clear shot on goal, wasn't it? So um, I, I think there was some effort from Todd there. But he, kept, he kept seeming to run into trouble um, and his little flicks and stuff weren't, weren't working, but... Too, too much individual, too much individual work. You know, the, whether these players are now starting to believe the hype. Uh, you know, uh, endless amounts of social media I see dedicated to the likes of Cantwell and less so Buendia. But you know, he's had plenty of uh, plenty of praise. Um, Buendia this season. The um, thing that begins to annoy me now incessantly this link with Kevin De Bruyne in terms of assists. Don't even go there. He's not. He's nowhere near a player of Kevin De Bruyne's class. Um, you know, whatever people want to quote me about an assist statistic, his impact on Norwich's team compared to that man on Man City, let's not even go there. So, you know, what we saw there was too many individual performances. And, and, and if you're Norwich and you're trying to pull off what would be a remarkable achievement, it's got to be about the collective. That's what got Norwich out of the division. OK, you could say Pukki's goals, Wendia was excellent as well. But it was the collective, really, that got them over the finishing line last season. And it was only going to be the collective that kept them up because they don't have enough individual quality by itself to, to, to basically stay out of this bottom three. Um, and that's why, again, you know, of, all, of, of many disappointing aspects, there was a little bit too much playing off the cuff from some of them creative players. And, you know, again, it doesn't reflect well on them or their head coach. The Southampton's press was, was excellent. They, they really did 
harry norwich after that first 10 15 minutes i think they could just smell that uh, norwich were there for the taking and weren't on their game necessarily despite you know having the better of it but i've got the stats in front of me um norwich still had 54 percent of possession i mean how often do they lose despite having more of the possession in a game the games that they win they seem to be better as a, as a counter-attacking force um shots what have we got here southampton had 22 to norwich's nine but they had nine on target to Norwich's one, which I'm pretty sure was a weak Kenny McLean effort shortly before half-time that he didn't quite catch right and, and McCarthy just collected um, nice and simply. Um, and you can go throughout it all. And I, I think this is correct. I'm using whoscore.com here, but poor Josh Martin, I don't think he actually touched the ball when he came on. They've got him down here as not having a touch. And in real time, Connor, I don't know if your recollection is the same, I don't remember him actually getting a touch of the ball. No, it felt like quite a harsh environment to throw him onto, to be fair, for his Premier League debut. Um, I'm not sure really that a 3-0 down, throwing a, a young player on and I get giving him his debut. And Again, I, I get the argument that perhaps he has a bit more freedom to play, given that the game is sort of done and dusted. But, I mean, to, it's just um, not the right, for me, way to develop a young player, perhaps to, to put them onto that environment. I think experiencing it from the bench and being involved in that squad probably would have done him more good than actually getting on the pitch. Like you say, not having a touch of the ball. And now that that is going to be his Premier League debut. That's going to be the thing that he always goes back to whatever sort of career he has. I played in the Premier League. This was my first game. Um, and sadly for him, there's there's not, well, there's not any like, really to talk about. And um, I guess the only positive you can make for him is that he didn't really put a foot wrong um, compared to perhaps uh, some other Norwich City players. Yeah, I like the there. positive spin. <laughs> yeah, I, I did feel sorry for him coming on today. It actually reminded me of Josh Murphy. I've just checked back on it, actually. Uh, it wasn't quite as bad as I remembered it, but Murphy made his Premier... Uh, sorry, his uh, yeah his Premier League debut was at Manchester City, came on at half-time when they were already 4-0 down, and they eventually uh, lost 7-0, which was in Chris Hewton's second season. You remember he scored on his debut, didn't he, at Watford in the League Cup? And then uh, he also had an appearance at Old Trafford in the next round of the League Cup. Uh, when they were already 2-0 down and ended up losing 4-0. So, harsh environment. But, Paddy, I guess we're going to see, uh, you know, if we if we sit here today, short of anything changing totally against Everton and them getting the win, and, and it should be pointed out that Everton play on Sunday against Liverpool. They've got 48 hours or less rest before having to travel to Norfolk. So, I don't think you can uh, write that one off, despite all the talent that Everton have in their squad. They, you know, Theo Walcott, Yerry Mina, they've got some injury problems as well. So, that probably looked the more winnable of the first two fixtures anyway. But yeah, the young lads coming into it, do you, do you think they, they're going to learn anything positive coming into situations like that? Well, I suppose, I mean, Adam Eder got, got a, a bit of a action as well, didn't he? So, you know, if you're Farker, then maybe you're looking at it, well, the, the guys who were ahead of them in the queue haven't really offered too much. So is there anything to lose? You know, you've always got that youthful naivety. Um, funnily enough, I asked Daniel about those two, bearing in mind the fact that A, he can make more subs and B, name more on the bench. And, and his answer I thought was interesting on Thursday in the sense that he's not looking at them as these callow, very raw two uh, young players in his squad. They are now, for him, on a, on a, on a level playing field. They've trained and now they are essentially fully-fledged first-team training players now. So they're part of his squad and, it, and if he deems them to potentially offer more than whoever the other more experienced, older rivals in their position, I think we've seen enough with this guy that he, he will give them a game. And uh, and particularly if it tilts, you know, if we get 
two, three, four more games in and, you know, it is pretty much game up, then he's clearly got to start thinking about next season and yeah. you're thinking about a campaign in the Championship. Certainly Ida, Ida. Um, he needs to be really stepping up, I think, um, because, you know, you can't really be holding that guy back at development level or even lower levels of the Football League. So, I think very quickly, and also it'll be a signal to, to, the, to the fan base as well that, OK, we're all... This now is gone, unfortunately. We gave it our best crack. It wasn't good enough. But we're now pivoting and it's all about planning now for next season. And, and what better way almost to lift some of those clearly disappointed supporters by saying, here's another two off the conveyor belt. And, you know, whatever happens over the summer to maybe the ones ahead of them, you know, we, we all know the names. We've talked about them in this podcast. Um, if they happen to move on or one or two move on, here's here's the next cabs off the rank, if you like. And I, and I think that would be a signal that what they've always tried to do at the very core of the Weber Farker philosophy is develop their own players. And, and, and if fans could start seeing a bit more of this guy, Martin, and we obviously know what Adam Eade can do. We've seen it in glimpses. You've got Daniel Sonani to drop into the mix, another young attacking player. Then I think it's all about them trying to engender a little bit of positivity once the inevitable disappointment sets in. That, OK, it hasn't worked this time around, but, you know, what was the stated aim to establish themselves as a top 25 club in the land was it I can't think what but the bracket being that you're not always going to be in the Premier League but you certainly will always be contesting at the top end of the championship and uh, to do that they are going to have to inevitably refresh the squad a touch and um, it's worked for them so far you know look at look at uh, look at the Aaronses look at the Cantwells Jamal Lewis before that uh, Ben Godfrey you know that is how a club like Norwich can move forward. It's not by going out and spending vast sums in the transfer market. They've tried that in the past, it's failed, and they've lived with consequences. So, yeah, I'd personally like to see a little bit more of that, those two young, young men over, over the rest of the season because I think the reality is this season probably has gone in terms of the Premier League. So, um, let's start looking towards next season. And Ida did actually go close with a chance, didn't he, after he came on? He um, pulled it just Ooh. wide of the post. And his reaction, I think told that he thinks he should have been hitting the target and that that was probably a big chance for his first Premier League goal there. Um, well, just to bounce back to you quickly then, Pad, um, finally, um, interviewing Daniel Farker via via this platform, via Zoom, all, you and all, all the national journalists, etc. sat there. It's, it's strange, isn't it? How, how have you sort of found trying to interview a Premier League uh, head coach via a, a video conference? Yeah, it's a bit difficult. I mean, what what happens is to paint a picture. We're all kind of in this long um, glass enclosed room, and and basically it, we all take our turn in asking questions. So it's kind of this reverberating, echoing sort of back from somebody three seats away who, or three sections away who's asking a question. Um, it does feel a little bit artificial. Um, you don't have that human contact because he's not in the room with you. Um, and in fact, yesterday after the game, it, we were only on the audio, so he's, he can't even actually see the people he's taking questions from. So it does feel a little bit uh, stilted. But, um, but but conversely, I thought, you know, we did the pre-match stuff via this platform and, and that was actually face-to-face. You could see him answering the questions and he could see he was asking the questions. And I thought that worked quite well, apart from it went on forever and ever. If regular sort of followers of our content, when we used to go down to Colney, it's probably 20, 25 minutes of Daniel's time. And that was more like 75 minutes just because there were so many people wanting to ask questions. So... Personally, from a purely professional point of view, I hope that uh, if there's one upside to Norwich losing games, it's some of those national people fritter away and it's just left with us loyalists, us local media, and, uh, and then that'll be in a, more an abbreviated uh, video conference. But uh, 
it's the way of the world. You know, we started by talking about the surreal elements to football now coming back and whether that's fans not being able to watch, whether it's, you know, disinfecting balls and corner flags and so on and so forth, or whether it's us in the media having to adapt to this remote style of working, then um, we're all having to deal with the new reality. But yeah, it's not, it will never replace that human contact from being in the same room, but um, that's the way it has to be for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, normal life still feels uh, quite a way away, yeah, doesn't it? Um, I mean, the fair play to the club's media team. They've, they've managed the situation um, reasonably well. And, and these Zoom calls, uh, you know, Daniel Hulk, uh, who's the uh, head of comms, he has sort of um, kept control of it quite well. So that side of it's well. But uh, I interviewed Tim Closer over the phone uh, and then was recording him on speakerphone. Yeah, I could see him sat in the dugout talking to me on the phone. And I thought, this is quite strange, isn't it? But, of course, we're not allowed to go anywhere near the red zone, uh, which is where the players are, where everyone has to have had their negative coronavirus test to, to be uh, in that zone. So we can't get too close. But I almost thought, am I better off sort of standing 10 rows back in the stand and shouting my questions to him and him use a loudspeaker or something to reply? Maybe you, you and the National Boys could do that with Daniel. <laughs> could be... Yeah. Um, it uh, might, might feel a bit more natural, but still quite weird. But um, there we go. We're, we're just getting used to it. There, this was the team sheet, um, which uh, I guess is going to be a little bit of a collector's item. Uh, we didn't get programmes last night, did we? Um, but uh, I think fans have been able to order them online, so there is still programmes in existence. But um, I think that'll do, boys. Um, I think we're squeezing in about as much as we're going to. I don't know if we'll manage one between the Everton and Man United games, but um, thanks for following us. Thanks, whether you're on Zoom or whether you're listening via the podcast or via Future Radio, 107.8 FM, of course. Um, we'll, uh, we'll try this again uh, next time with the pod. And, uh, you know, if you, if you do fancy asking us a question, then do join the Zoom call. Um, I think we can probably uh, use that a, a little bit better as we get used to it. Um, as ever, though, if you want to get in contact with us, um, you know where we are on socials, uh, the Pinkin account on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, if you ever want to send us a message or, or our individual accounts uh, as well. Um, this is your show as much as it is ours so we always like to hear from you as well any ratings or reviews always very much appreciated and uh, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast then please do and for all the latest notes and news pinkham.com is the place to be uh, look after yourselves let's hope city can uh, at least keep things interesting a little bit on wednesday against Everton.